what was Dave just doing? <laughs> He's chasing Georgia. Okay. Dave, the intern, just went by the camera because we're still recording this like remotely. I don't think we ever really gave an update from that one time we mentioned it. Yep. Still <laughs> remote, which is fine. One day. Oh, she's so cute. She's gotten so big. Oh no, she's getting temperamental. She doesn't like being held, but then I don't even try anymore, but Dave tries. So she like stays like that for maybe 10 seconds and then like just like unleashes her claws immediately. So then Dave puts her down, but then she doesn't run away. She kind of just like still wants to be pet, but she doesn't want to be picked up. Have you? So off topic, clearly. Clearly, we're already off topic. We haven't even started. But I keep getting these ads from Insta- like on Instagram, and I don't know why, but they're like the... And I keep meaning to like send it to you, and I forget for some reason, so I'll probably never see this ad again. But it's like a test your cat's DNA to see oh, yeah. like what breed they are. And I guess like mm-hmm. that could also... like just That could just be related to like depending on what breed she is, because I guess some cats are like like to be picked up, and some cats are like mm. don't, and... Some are very, like, sensitive and some aren't. So, like, maybe if you do that, maybe you'll figure out that, like, that might be why. Or it could just be her personality. We do want to do one at some point. We did one for Tim last year. So we're thinking about doing one for Georgia. But, like, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's a waste of money. But I guess it's kind of entertaining or whatever if you really need a gift idea. But, yeah, I don't. I didn't think about that. Dave thinks we were told when we got her at the shelter society place that she's part Bengal. Okay. But she's definitely some kind of mix because she has a very long tail. She's like very small, but her tail's long. And I don't, I feel like that's not a common thing really with cats. It's like a skinny tail, but then when she gets like nervous or like gets startled her tail puffs up so it's normally really skinny but then it turns into like a raccoon tail sometimes and like not all cats do that either so that's like for sure some kind of breed thing but i don't know what kind so it would be kind of interesting to find that out yeah hello everyone welcome back to another episode of oi with the terror already i'm one of your hosts danielle and i'm your other host sandra the heat is getting to my brain. It's so hot. Not as bad <laughs> as it is in Europe and the UK right now, but it's still like, this is why I don't like summer. This is why I'm like a winter girl. Yeah, I'm okay with summer. Yeah, there's just like some kind of heat wave. And Dave told me that a few days ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have the AC going and fan going, but you could for sure feel it. Like, our kitchen doesn't have any kind of real way of getting AC or anything in it. And just like cooking or eating in there just makes it feel so much hotter. Yeah. yeah. I don't even have my AC on right now because it's so loud. Oh, really? Yeah, it's way too loud. And I was like, not going to have that noise in the background. So, no, oh, even if it's on like a low setting. Yeah, it's just, it's. A good, like, it's really good. It's one of those where if you set it to, like, a specific temperature, it'll go until it reaches that temperature, and then it turns off. Mm-hmm. But it's just loud when, until it gets down to turning off. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Sandra. So, 
I'm sitting here in a t-shirt and pajama shorts because yeah. <laughs> it's it's hot. But luckily, the my apartment's not too bad. So I feel like a lot of like how hot your place gets depends on the amount of sunlight you mm-hmm. get usually because we get all the sun to the front of our house, so this side always feels hotter than like the back part. So yeah. I guess it like maybe depending where you are in your building or whatever, how it's facing, maybe it doesn't get too much. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely face like the side, like I face like out on the street, so it does get hot, but I do have like nice curtains where if I keep them closed during the day, yeah, like yeah. It, it keeps mm-hmm. a lot of the heat out. So when I come home, it's like, okay, it's not horrible. It's doable. I've, I've had way worse. Yeah. Um, so it's not, and my apartment's pretty much small enough where it's like kind of the same temperature all throughout. So it's not, like, too, too horrible. And as we were talking about earlier, the whole, like, London, England, and you said Spain, so all that. Yeah, Spain and France right now are in really bad shape. The UK is in really bad shape. Scotland apparently is okay. They're not (laughs) great. Well, this is just from, I reached out to my friend, and I was like, how's the heat wave? And she's like, it's okay. It's not as bad as, like, London. And I was like, yep. Because it's like, <laughs> Scotland's okay. Well, Scotland right now, because I have it on my phone. Like, I have a bunch of, like, different places for the weather app on my phone. Because I know so many people that live in, like, different countries now. Right. And for London, it was, like, 102 Fahrenheit. And I was like, that's bad. And then for Scotland, it was, like, 83 Fahrenheit. And I was like, that's bad. But that's not as bad as London. So... And I don't have Spain or France or any of those countries on my phone. But from what I saw on CNN, like, it was bad. So I'm sorry to everybody who's dealing with the mm-hmm. heat. I'm sorry that this is happening. And I hope that this is a cause for concern and that people actually get behind climate change because it's not looking good. So hopefully the heat wave passes soon. I feel like it might... I don't know. I don't have anything to go off. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm sorry if you live in the UK and then in Europe and you don't have an air conditioner. Mm. I'm just, I'm sorry. Dave didn't have one growing up in Melrose, and I don't know how. Like, not even the window units? No, his mom didn't want to put them in their house because they have, like, some kind of old window what's the exact reasoning for that the walls are too thin i don't know it's like an old victorian house it's so something i think place something with the windows that wouldn't work or well my mom doesn't like the look of the window units so those weren't going in the windows and then the walls were too thin to lay ductwork through and it was mostly i think brick on the exterior even though there was like wood on the outside so it wasn't gonna happen so the new owners have this abomination where the pipe is on the outside of the house and it looks terrible. Yikes. There goes the neighborhood. That's Dave mad, so now you can say you've heard it. Well, it's like 12 years <laughs> to hear that boy get mad. <laughs> Him sounding stern. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure I've heard that tone before. I can't remember where, but I'm sure somewhere it's like popped up and then it just kind of goes away and then he just, we move on. But <laughs> yeah, no, I remember when my family got central air and it was a godsend because oh, yeah. 
those window units and just like window units are great. They're great if you have an apartment. I will give you that. I love my window units. But when you have a house and you have to have multiple units for the different rooms and it's just they're heavy and it's just it's a lot. My mom has been trying to convince my dad to get central air in their house for like I think almost 10 years. And for what I mean, I guess he kept saying like costs. He kept saying no. So now they basically have like five giant air conditioner units in the in the windows instead of getting central air. I'm like and it's a pain because some of these are really big, so he like needs help putting it upstairs and downstairs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe just pay for the central air at this point. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if they're looking to sell their house, like yeah. they'll get more if they have central air because yeah. that's like that's more of a requirement now that people look for. Yeah, because it's like, oh, they're going to move out soon, so what's the point? But then that probably would add value to the house if they did get it. I mean, some of the apartments my friends live in, they have central air. So. That's pretty nice. It's more expensive, but I'm like, but right. you're not dealing with the window units and risking them, like, hanging out the windows in the apartment. Mm. Yeah. So it does have, like, its perks. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. would I would just be like, you know what, Dad? You're retired. Like, <laughs> now would be a good time. No, that's true. He's, like, there every day now. So. It's like, yeah. how's, how, those, how are those window units yeah. treating you? And whenever I go home now, it gets colder and colder. Like, they basically live in, like, 65 degree temperature, like, constantly now. So, yeah. yeah. So, their electric bill must be great right now. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, I don't know. I'll I'll ask my dad that tonight. Like, how much more would central air be compared to constantly having the units it's got to be cheaper than it was when my parents got it because my parents got it back in like the early 2000s because my mom was like i'm not doing this window unit anymore Uh, yeah we are getting central air i don't care how much it costs i don't care how long it takes to put in we're doing it you and my friend lauren were like the first two people i knew who had central air in their house and it was like such a luxury like ooh, like just like the I don't know if they still do it this way, but the like the vents or whatever on the floors, and you'd be like, that means there's central air. <laughs> I just now though, it's funny because like growing up, my like in this the and I understand this more now as like somebody that like pays for utilities and apartment yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. I get and I'm sure your dad was on the same wavelength <laughs> where it was, oh, it's winter. But we can't turn on the heat above like 68 because the electric bill and heat mm-hmm. is expensive. Mm-hmm. So my dad would just be like, go put on a sweater. Oh, yeah. I'll grab a blanket. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not doing it. And then in the summer, it was, we have central air, but it's expensive to run. So we can only get it up to like or down to like 75 or 78 or whatever. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So that's that was the compromise where my dad was like, right. "We'll do it," but like it's not going below like seventy eight because right. it's expensive. And I'm like, I get it now. But even get with it. the ACs too, at least ours. Well, we only have one down here, and we have a few rooms that are connected. But ours, I think, doesn't really. If it's really hot, it doesn't get below like seventy two. I don't think. Yeah, it only so. goes below a certain amount yeah, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, 
So that was the rule in the house. So whenever my dad would leave for work and if like I, I was home alone in the summer, oh, I'd, I'd crank it. I'd right. And then I'd give it like an hour before he got home and then yeah. I would put it back. Oh, Sandra, you're so bad. <laughs> so like, it would like even out by the time he got home. <laughs> That's funny. That's a good idea though because you can't tell that in an electric bill like no. hours. No, and it was it wasn't it was maybe for like four to five hours a day that I would do that, <laughs> and then the same in the winter with the heat. Like if he was gone and I was home alone, like I I crank it up because I'd be cold, right? And then I would crank it back down. And he figured this out because he would be like, because I mentioned it to him when I accidentally moved home back in 2020, where I mentioned to my stepmom where I was like, oh, I'll just like crank it back down before he gets home, and she was like, why? And I was like, well, because he gets mad, and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Just leave it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so have you so one thing my dad did install, which I always appreciated, he put this like this was years ago, so now there's a whole like smart thermostat, whatever it's called. Like in the not thermostat in the bathrooms, it's like people have the like light, vent, heat, whatever, <laughs> but now it's all fancy on this pad thing. But before when it first came out, like it was just a few buttons you would press, um, like switches almost. And my dad installed like a vent and a heat and a nightlight one in the like side bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I would always like basically whenever it would get like 65 or below out, I would always like turn the heat on constantly whenever I'd go in the bathroom, like showering, brushing my teeth, whatever. It just like felt so nice, like... And my dad, I think, literally found out months ago that I would, he was like, wait, were you always turning the heat on? I was like, yes. Like, he didn't know. He must have installed this, like, eight years ago or something. Yeah, so we had, we didn't have, like, a, we have something similar. My dad still has it in the hall bathroom. We have the heater, which is, like, this, like, mm -hmm. old-style knob that you turn. And then okay. we have, like, a fan for ventilation for the bathroom. So I always put on the fan first before I get into the shower. And then when I get out of the shower, I turn off the fan and I turn on the heat. And then... I think you're supposed to do the opposite, <laughs> I think you are, but, like, that's just what I would do. Okay. <laughs> and then... But that was only really in the winter and the summer, like, yeah. not so much because it was hot. But in the winter, I would just honestly, like, it would get to the point where, like, because we had to get up so early for high school. I know. Yeah. That's where it was nice. So I would have the heat running and I would just, like, lay down in front of the vent and just be like, I'm just going to lay here for 10 minutes. That's what I would do. And my dad still has no idea. So are you giving Georgia or Tim? Yeah. I was snippy at Tim earlier. So I'm giving him treats to buy his love. seems to be working at least he's not like vindictive and like poops in your shoes or anything mm -hmm. some cats do that yeah our cats are pretty like mild-mannered luckily yeah you never really know because it's not like you can give cats a test drive you just kind of choose them and then see how it works so you never yeah. really know for sure how it'll turn out yeah I've just heard horror stories of cats like pooping in people's shoes or like throwing up on their their bed or peeing on their bed. <laughs> so you just don't know. Okay. Anyway, I don't know. My over the week might just be that I'm like hot. Yeah. <laughs>
I feel like I mentioned like part of my OI of the week in the beginning of this episode and I don't remember it. No. Uh oh, the migraine. Yeah, I guess that can be my OI. I got an ocular migraine on Sunday, which is for those of you that don't know, it's basically like like if there's you know the um the stupid little like spot stuff like the i forget what they're called oh, that you floaters. get yeah it's like a floater yeah but it's very long and it looks like very colorful and it starts out kind of small and then it gets bigger and then it lasts about 20 to 30 minutes and then like it slowly moves like out of your peripheral vision and apparently goes behind the eye or disappears or whatever mm. i don't get them very often but when i do it's never good so that was a fun Sunday morning at like 11. I was fine. And then I was like, oh, because you like when you have them, you know, like when they're coming. But it's scary because you do like I'm not able to see for 20 minutes. I have to literally go lay down and close my eyes for 20 to 30 minutes and wait for like the light show to be done. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it starts in one eye and then it goes to the other. So it's like a sh- it's just like a random like yeah. here's something fun to throw at you this week. OK, cool. Great. <laughs> They're just, they're annoying. And they're genetic, so I get them from my mom. At least it was on a Sunday, I guess. But yes, I've, I've had them at work. They're not fun when I'm at work. That's a, I have to go hide in the conference room for 20 minutes and close my eyes and hopefully nobody asks me if I'm okay. Have you told your supervisor that or has she not noticed? Oh, okay. I've only had it once. So yeah. if it keeps occurring, I might just send her an email and just let her know. Mm-hmm. Or at least let my coworkers know, like, yeah, this is normal. But apparently one of my coworkers who, like, I've chatted with a bit, like, also gets them. Hmm. And she's the only other person I've met besides my mom that has them. So that was interesting. Where I was like, oh, you actually know what these are and you get them. And she's like, yes, I do. And they are not. They're not enjoyable. So, and she's like, I've never talked to anybody besides my mom that gets them. And I was like, oh, okay. You guys are cousins. <laughs> are you both from Maine? No. <laughs> no, I think she's from Mass, but. Like, or maybe, I don't know, maybe her mom doesn't, I don't remember she said her mom gets them, but she says, like, she's been getting them for a few years, and they're just, they suck. They're not fun. At least I know what they are now, so it's not just like, oh, shit, I'm going blind. It's like, no, you're fine. Just give it 20 minutes. That's terrifying. Yeah. So, but yeah. And if I think of the other part of my oi, I'll let you know, because apparently that is, that is gone. So... (laughs) I mean, I kind of, I was thinking about mentioning this, but I don't know if it would fit into the OI category, but I've been feeling sad about Ukraine stuff, and I don't know what to do, and I, like, did, like, a donation a while ago for this, like, logistics company or something, and they're doing stuff with food and whatever, but it just, like, feels kind of, like, weird because, like, Technically, I am Ukrainian, but I was, like, raised not saying that Mm -hmm. because of religious things, but that's only because that's just what my parents, mainly my mom, basically, I don't think she really forced me to say I'm Russian, but, like, she would always say that, so then I'm like, okay, if she's saying it, then that's probably right, and then this whole thing happened, and... I think now my mom is officially not saying she's Russian because it's my mom is from a like it's called a Lviv mm-hmm. in Ukraine. It's like the most western part of Ukraine you can get pretty much. It's like right next to Poland. 
And so, like, literally, she's Ukrainian. <laughs> and my dad is also, it was, it used to be Hungary before World War II, but now it is part of Ukraine, so he's also Ukrainian, technically. So it's just, like, so, like, conflicting in a way. And then all this had, like, the war and everything, and it's, like, yeah. obviously we relate more with Ukrainians now and I don't know, it's just like so complicated. And I actually went there a few years ago on a vacation. Like my mom wanted to visit like where she grew up and everything. So we went to like Lviv and saw her apartments and we went to this uh, factory where my grandpa like ran the factory. It was like a light bulb factory and we went there so I have, like, all these, like, roots and connections, basically, to there. But it's, like, okay, now I guess I'll say I'm Ukrainian, and I don't know. It's, like, feels like such a weird place to be in, and... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, like, so complicated, but... Well, I'm sure there's other donation places out there, and there's other ways to help... I've also noticed that they're not really talking about it anymore. Yeah, I was wondering that. Well, so my my mom, actually, I saw it. We went to uh, Lake House, New Hampshire over the weekend, and my parents were there, and Dave's parents were there. And at one point, my mom came over and was like, oh, they officially bombed Lviv. So it's still going on. It's like, it just seems like the Ukrainians are having so much like resistance mm-hmm. that every yeah like everything i've read and heard it's like oh we thought russia would have taken this a lot quicker but like when all this started happening the war i like got really curious about it and there are these documentaries on netflix and they had some i never heard the name of it but they had some kind of siege like from not from russians but other people like ukrainian police officers that may have been connected with russians a few years ago and the ukrainians were able to like basically fight that or like defend themselves against that so it seems like they've been doing that for so long that they kind of like knew what to do but yeah like my mom is it sounds like it's still not great but maybe i don't i don't even know what the current status is at this point but I mean, I did see Putin today on CNN because we have CNN on at work and I didn't get the full story, but it looks like he's sending over ed- like teachers from Russia to Ukraine to like help educate the kids correctly. So from what I got from that was, oh, he's sending over Russian teachers to Ukrainians to teach them like Russian history and Russian. You know. What does that have to do with them bombing what? I don't know. I don't know. It was literally like a 30 seconds. And I was like, wait, what? And I turned my head and they moved on to the next story. And I so, didn't have time to look well, it up. That's another reason why it's so insane. Like I grew up like hearing that not all Russians, but some Russians are maybe crazy. And they like one of the, the reason why I'm American is because my family left Ukraine because Ukraine was communist at the time that they left mm-hmm. and but the same principles it's still like Russia still being run like basically like it's the 80s or 90s yeah. like none of the news is real 
like the government like it's just like a mess and i've heard this my whole life and now it's like other people that weren't aware of this before is now learning <laughs> like any you can't like believe anything that's said it's just like insane and i feel bad i feel like it's like divided like russia itself like half the people know what's happening and the other half are just like like brainwashed basically like it's yeah. messed up one of my friends from grad school is Russian. He lives in France with his wife and his son now. But I haven't talked to him in years, but because of everything that's been going on, like I reached out to him and he was basically just like, I don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. I'm really, he was like, I'm really mad at yeah. this because he's like, this is not right. Like, this is not what we stand for. Like, so many people are getting arrested. You can't even use like certain words anymore because they'll arrest you. He's like, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, he's like, it hasn't really changed, and it's nuts. And he's like, and I still have family that's, like, stuck in Russia, and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am so sorry. Like, I know. Like, who can relate to, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And now, because he's in France, he's also dealing with this heat wave. So I'm like, I should reach out to him about that, too, see how he's doing. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, that's what a lot of people did. They just tried to get to other countries if they could. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then there's the whole thing going on with the basketball player, Brittany mm-hmm. Grenier, or whatever. Yeah. Grenier. I haven't heard much, though. I haven't heard anything in, like, a week or two about that. So I don't know what the update is. Yeah. Basically, the trial's going on. She's been there since, like, springtime, I guess. But yeah. I don't know much else. But, yeah, she might face up to, like, I don't even know, 10 years, I think, if she gets if she's found guilty mm-hmm. yeah she probably will be because oh and what i did hear is they want the russians were willing to trade her for a russian uh weapons dealer that the americans have so like basketball player found with like hashish oil versus known convict weapons dealer I don't know. It's not fair. That's not a fair trade. So I think the U.S. said no to that. Yeah, not, I'm not surprised. But also, like, really, <laughs> really, <sighs> Jesus. So that's our. I feel like we never really talk about like current events or anything, but it was just like weighing on me earlier. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with everything going on, like, there's a lot of stuff I can't talk about just because I get really, really mad. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to get really, really mad. So, like, with the whole yeah. Roe v. Wade thing, I'm like, I, I can't. Like, I can't I can't talk about it. Can't hear any more I mean, about if it. If it's your oi of the week, then I guess it could be. <laughs> I think my oi is just, like, about everything. About yeah. Roe v. Wade. About everything that's going on with the school shooting in Uvalde. Because that mm-hmm. was also on CNN today. Like, parents are pissed. And it's like, that's fair. Because kids are free to go back to school. So that's also fair. I think my oi is just like, I'm so tired of yeah. all of this shit happening. And the government not doing anything. And, like, something something is going to happen. Or something needs to be done. Yeah, like. Yeah. And if they can't do it. They need to get people in there that will actually give a shit and do it. So. Yeah, things have to be changed. Like the whole like you and I grew up about 20 minutes away from where Sandy Hook took place. Yep. So it, like 
it's just insane. And I don't think anyone really near where we live really needs to have a safe full of guns for any reason. No, you, there's no reason to have an AR-15. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take away people's guns. I'm not. I'm just saying that there's like, there's got to be a better way to procure the guns and to have background checks and to make sure people are mentally stable to own that's a gun. The main, yeah, that's the main thing. The whole like making sure people are mentally equipped. And just to tie everything on nicely in a bow, their idea of giving teachers guns is stupid because <laughs> they're going to lose more teachers. We're already in a teacher shortage. And not mm-hmm. to mention, what if a student gets their hands on a teacher's gun? Who yeah. is going to be blamed? It is not going to be the student. It is going to be the teacher. And then that's just is so much more like procedural things teachers are going to have to worry about and learn. Mm-hmm. Or it's like they should just be figuring out how to teach kids. Like, Yeah, because you and I, I, I don't remember a time when we, so for those people that may be international listeners in the States, we have this code or this drill that we run. It's similar to a fire drill, but it's called a code red. And basically, it's for an active shooter, essentially, or somebody come to harm the school. They have an announcement over the loudspeaker that's more of like a code. They have the teachers go in a corner and they try to protect the students and they lock the doors and they make sure the blinds are shut and everything. And then we sit there until the police comes and says, like, either they give an all clear over the loudspeaker or policemen will actually come with like a dog and like knock on the door and be like, okay, you're good to go. So we grew up with those because of Columbine. But I don't remember a time when we didn't have those. And yes, they're needed. And they're terrifying because I've had I've been on both ends. I've been on the end where I'm the student and I've been on the end where I'm the teacher. And it oh, is not really? a fun drill. Yeah, because when I subbed yeah, yeah. Um, for our old middle school, mm-hmm. one day I was subbing, we had a code red. And they told me because they're like, you're a sub. You should know. Normally, we don't tell the teachers. But like, because you're subbing, we're going to tell you we're having a code red today. And I was like, Great. Hmm. thank god i remember how to do these and thankfully the students were good and they were quiet and they did what they were told they knew exactly what to do they knew exactly where to go so that was great but it's just like there is nothing between me and like there is nothing really to protect these kids except for me and i'm just like if this was real like we'd be screwed because i'm like what what can i do and i don't remember ever maybe like once twice a year like when you and i were that age in middle school that wasn't really a thing it wasn't like a like common knowledge to oh if anything ever happens like this is we would immediately know what to do it was just you kind of like wrote it off like like a fire drill or something like that like it didn't really have much severity We never took it seriously. We'd always talk or like make noise or drive the teacher crazy or whatever. Like we never, we in a million years would have never thought, oh, there's an active shooter outside our classroom. Yeah, that was never really a fear. But it is now. And then it happened 20 minutes away from us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still, Sandy Hook is, I think, still the worst one that's occurred. So yeah, because I think that one was 26 kids and one or two teachers and they were first graders. They were little. And it's just like you, sh- and also for the parents, like school is supposed to be the, one of the safest places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I'm bringing that up is because CNN today was showing like the um, court, uh, not court case, like a, a hearing, like a PTA type hearing where the parents were trying to argue with the police. I don't know if it was like the police chief or like the board or somebody mm-hmm. saying like, 
you need to fix this. There needs to be ramifications. The police did not handle this well. They didn't really handle it at all. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be consequences because they are in a small town. There's only, I think, about 2,000 people in that town. Mm. So, and they're not seeing changes. And they're like, our kids are terrified to go back to school. And we're starting school soon. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? And they were like, like, I didn't hear what they said. It was more of what the parents were saying. Mm-hmm. And they even had some of the kids speak that were like, my friend was one of the ones that was shot or my friend mm-hmm. was one of the ones that died. I don't want to go to school. What are you going to do? So hearing that from a parent versus like a seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, I think I think the kids were nine. But it's just there just needs to be a lot of changes. So that's my – that's all I'm going to say. I just went off for 10 minutes, so I'm sorry, but – I guess I should get into my story go for it. Like a little concerned from the hints that you've given me about this. So I'm here for it though. So the first time I learned about this topic, it was from watching an episode of A Crime to Remember from the Investigation Discovery Channel, which I keep checking back and I don't think they're making any more episodes. The last one was a few years ago, but I feel like it was so good. Like Every single episode, like I didn't skip any of them, just the way they were made. And it was a type where it was like, uh, I think they did interview real people, but then they also had actors doing the flashbacks or whatever, like Mm -hmm. reenactments. Yeah. ID is so good. Like, it's such, it's so good. I think it's the first season. But I watched this years ago, and then it, like, stuck in my mind, and then I tried finding this topic, but I couldn't remember any of the names or anything, so I couldn't find it. But then this time I actually Googled the name of the show and the other details, and then I actually found it again. So, as you guessed from the photo I sent of this lady, it is, at one point it takes place in the 1960s, but it kind of goes across, like, different decades um, but I guess it maybe technically starts in the 60s. So it, this is the story of Alice Crimmins, a young woman who was accused of murdering her two children and was actually ultimately found guilty. But there was so much questionable evidence and everyone felt that Alice Crimmins was being judged harshly because she was attractive and her personality wasn't really typical of a housewife from the 1960s. So she was basically judged pretty harshly throughout the trial and everything. And because of the thin evidence, it was always in question if she actually did do it or if it was just really easy to pin this on her because she wasn't like typical of that time, her life. And... Yeah, so police didn't like that, and also her jury was all male. So the case sparked a lot of attention and outrage from the public. All eyes were scrutinizing Alice Crimmins' actions, and she became a hated person. She's actually compared, like, she was kind of, it seems like people compare her to Casey Anthony. She was like the 60s version of that, in a way. It all began on July 14th, 1965, when 26-year-old Alice Crimmins noticed her two children were not in their beds. She called her husband, who was living elsewhere because at the time they were separated. Her husband immediately reported their two children, 5-year-old Eddie Crimmins Jr. and 4-year-old Alice 
Missy Marie Crimmins missing. They were nowhere to be found at their home in Queens, New York. And their mother, their mother Alice, was quickly considered the top suspect. Mere hours later, her daughter's strangled corpse was found in a nearby lot. Eddie Jr. was found near the Van Wyck Expressway weeks later. His body was so decomposed that authorities were unable to determine the cause of death. Because this was July, so usually when it's very hot out, it's easier for that to happen. And it's harder for police to know what happened. So partly, or partially because Alice Crimmins was young and attractive, the tabloids very quickly painted her as a hussy-type character and someone who was cold-hearted enough to murder her children. And there was always a lack of hard evidence throughout this, but police were feeling the pressure more and more to find the killer. So they started tracking Alice's movements so they could try to pin the murders on her. Alice Crimmins was born on March 9, 1939, in the Bronx. She was raised by devout Catholic parents. Perhaps it was her strict upbringing that led Alice to dream of getting more independence. She thought of her way of getting more independence was by getting married at the age of 19. She married her high school sweetheart, Edmund Crimmins, in 1959. Her son and daughter were born two years, within the next two years. The family moved into their Regal Gardens apartments in Kew Gardens, New York. Alice did not feel satisfied in their marriage, and as her husband spent most of his time drinking with co-workers. So Alice decided to take up a job working as a cocktail waitress, and this was considered very atypical at that time, for someone who's considered to be a housewife to take up a job such as a cocktail waitress um, in mid-century America. And Alice actually started dating some of her customers. When Edmund found out, he moved out of their home, but before he moved out, he actually bugged their bedroom and recorded her affairs. And he also later admitted to sneaking in the house when Alice wasn't home so he could touch her personal belongings. So that's a little odd. That's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't expect that also when I was reading and writing it. Like, you would think, oh, found out about affair, left. Not found out about affair, bugged room, and also would sneak back in the house. I mean, to be fair, I didn't think bugging was a thing in the 60s for some reason. I always thought that was a more like modern, maybe like maybe 80s, 90s when it started, but I didn't realize it dated that far back. FBI were always on top of that. The whole Watergate and everything. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, it's one thing if it's the FBI, but it's another thing if it's like your husband. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know what he did. Yeah, that I didn't really think about that. Maybe if it was harder for like just normal people to get that equipment where would they find maybe at connections or something maybe i feel like that's expensive too that's true so one day edmund grew enraged when his son informed him that alice would regular regularly invite who she called cousins over and they would walk around their house in undershirts and would usually spend the night The last straw for Edmund came when Alice didn't return to his place one night 
to pick up their kids after she was partying with one of her boyfriends, millionaire contractor Anthony Grace. So on June 22, 1965, Edmund filed for sole custody of their children. And interestingly, Alice's own mother sided with him. The custody hearing was scheduled for July 19, 1965, but this would never take place. When Alice... Hey, that's today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Interesting. When Alice discovered her children were missing, her first call was to her estranged husband. And it seemed like her reaction was to basically demand from Edmund where the kids were. And when he told her he didn't have them, she basically broke down into tears. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, Alice was always scrutinized by the public and the police. She, at least in the photos, there are all, if you look up her name, there are so many photos of her literally like just walking into the courthouse, it seems like. And she has like these like little like mini dresses on and her hair is always done and she's young, whatever. So apparently because of this, it was easy to scrutinize her because like, Basically, I remember hearing this more in the show, the investigation discovery show, like people were confused because she wasn't constantly crying and she didn't look like haggard and depressed. So because of that, like it made more people think that she must have been the murderer, basically. When Detective Gerald, Gerald, oh God, Gerald, yes. When Detective Gerald, I feel like I haven't said that name in a very long time. <laughs> when Detective Gerald Peering responded to the Crimmins call on the same afternoon of the disappearance, he was met by both Edmund and Alice. The detective, for whatever reason, noted that Alice was wearing heels and tight pants. I don't know what Edmund was wearing. He questioned the couple but did not take any photos of the scene. He also failed to notice a missing screen from the children's bedroom window, and he did not dust for any fingerprints. Alice relayed, relayed the previous evening's events to the officer. She told him she fed her kids at around 7.30 p.m., and then basically put them to bed, and then woke up the next morning to find them missing. Peering went through Alice's bedroom where he found empty liquor bottles, birth control pills, and various types of lingerie. Even though this really didn't have anything to do with the kids being murdered, this painted Alice in an even more negative light in the detective's eyes. Apparently, which I did remember hearing the show, and this is a quote in this other source I found, he said, quote, you take the husband, I'll take the bitch, he told his partner. And that was basically right after he questioned her, it sounds like. So it was not a question of who done it. It was just a, she did it, let's prove that she did it and move on with our day. That's what I'm getting from it. Yeah, like, it's like, okay, she's she wasn't emotional enough for their liking, but for whatever reason, all these men... I don't know, maybe they're, like, threatened by her, like, oh, our wives are so different, like, what's wrong with her? Like, they just, 
I don't really get it either. It must have been a thing of the time. But yeah, for whatever reason, it seemed like right away, they were just like, there's something wrong with her. She must have done it. And it was probably easy for them to do that because they couldn't find anyone. But it's also like, from my understanding, the quintessential housewife is always put together, is always dressed to the nines, always has their hair coiffed and perfect, like Donna Reed type deal, which is what she's presenting. So... I know. So it's like housewives are supposed to look like that. My only, the only thing I could come up with, which she'll hear about later on, is she just seemed like more outspoken. Like she just like the fact that she had liquor bottles and lingerie and various boyfriends, like women weren't supposed to act like that. And she basically, she was ahead of her times in a way, I think. And that probably like scared them and like, oh no, if she could do this, what else is she capable of? So it's a witch hunt, basically. That's the vibe, probably, because all these detectives were men, like, so hours after the visit, peering, okay, so this part seems messed up, which I don't know if this would happen now, maybe it would. So hours after the visit, peering was informed that the missing girl, Alice's daughter, Missy, had been found, and basically he found out, oh, like, we found the girl's body, like, corpse, like, they knew she was dead. And the reaction or response they had was to tell Alice, oh, we found your daughter. And they basically drove her over to, like, her corpse at this, like, lot somewhere. So I don't know if that would happen now. I feel like if that were a thing now, they would, like, probably wait a little bit. If that were to happen now, probably standard procedure would be take photos of the crime scene do everything at the crime scene once that's done, Mm -hmm. remove the body, and then have her come to a morgue to identify the body. Yeah. That would be today's procedure. I don't necessarily know why they chose to do it that way. Maybe to shock her more, to, like, see, like, the environment and everything, but... Right. Because that that did... So they basically... Maybe this is why they did it. They were, like, scrutinizing her to see what her reaction would be. So apparently she did, when she saw her daughter, she fainted, but later on, Peering would claim that she showed little to no emotion. It's called shock. So that's like the opposite. (laughs) It's called, you showed me my daughter that was murdered. I'm in shock. People react differently when they're in shock. Especially, like, women. Like, I feel like that's a thing. Women yeah. are supposed to be so emotional. <laughs> but not all of us are the same. But if she went the other way and she was emotional, would they be like, oh, shouldn't she be more, like, stoic? Yeah, they could have been like, oh, my God, she must be faking it. She's too emotional. Yeah, she's, that's weird. She's too emotional. Yeah, so there could have always yes. been a target on her back for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe she rejected the detective and he wanted to take her out. But it's, it's a witch hunt at this point. They also completely did the investigation incorrectly if they didn't even do anything at the oh, yeah. original scene back at the house. And they didn't even dust her fingerprints. Like, they did yeah. not handle this correctly or by the book at all. So, basically, the next two years, authorities questioned... They did question other suspects besides Alice. And this included local burglars and Eddie Crimmon Sr., who admitted to stalking his wife before the tragedy, authorities decided to also bug Alice's phone (laughs) and followed her movements to find anything that seemed suspicious. So 
unsurprisingly, like a normal person, Alice reacted with annoyance when she found out she was being bugged and actually seemed to egg them on at points. When she realized her phone was tapped, she would actually pick up the phone before calling someone and say, hi, boys, drop dead before making the call. So if that gives you anything into what her personality was like. I mean, like, I want to be, like, good for her. But also, like, you're just making it worse. It just seemed like she was really out there and, like, no one knew what to do with that in the 60s. Apparently not. And she's already got a target on her back anyway, so it's, like, may as well just take it for a ride because she probably knew what was going to happen like before anything happened yeah yes probably witch hunt is a pretty apt description of this so she actually there's a quote from her quote they wanted to break me down they wanted me to grieve not for the sake of my children but for them the police i wasn't going to give them the satisfaction they were my kids Nobody was looking out to see who killed my kids. They were only interested in making me break, end quote. So in November 1966, an eyewitness account came forward from one of Alice's neighbors, Sophie Omersky, a neighbor who was also apparently suffering from brain damage. And I guess her, they, she was, it seems like she was maybe the only actual eyewitness account. And that was like the only real thing they had against Alice at that point. So because of that account, they were able to officially arrest her for murder on September 11th, 1967. The trial began on May 9th, 1968. So in addition to the very thin evidence, there was also faulty eyewitness testimonies and sexist accusations. There were irrelevant details brought up during the trial, such as Alice swimming in her boyfriend's pool naked months after her children were found dead. The prosecutor proceeded to list off all of Alice's known partners, including her children's barber, until the judge told him to stop listing off everyone. (laughs) Forensic pathologist Dr. Milton Halpern testified that Alice's daughter, Missy, had been strangled to death and the food in her system could have could not have been ingested more than two hours before her death. This would contradict Alice's timeline of feeding her children at 7.30 p.m., but a neighbor told authorities that she thought she could hear Alice bringing her children to bed at 9 p.m. And then a bomb was dropped when one of Alice's boyfriends told the court that days before her daughter was killed, uh, she would rather see her children dead before giving her husband full custody over them. And the same boyfriend said that Alice confessed to killing her daughter. When Alice heard this in the courtroom, she shouted, quote, I thought you were my friend. How could you? End quote. The most incriminating piece of evidence was uh, the neighbor's eyewitness account. She claimed to have seen a woman of Crimmins height walking toward the interstate at 2 a.m. on July 14, 1965. She was accompanied by a child and a man, and they were holding a bundle of blankets. But the same neighbor constantly changed her story and was ultimately an unreliable witness. 
But despite this, the all-male jury found Alice guilty on May 27, 1968. When they read the verdict, Alice started screaming at the judge that they just wanted to pin the murder on her, and they didn't really care about finding the actual killer. Uh, So that was the first trial for the daughter. So there was a second trial for the son, um, where Alice was found guilty a a second time, and Judge George Ballback... (laughs) Ballback sentenced her to life in prison for murder and a concurrent 5 to 20 years in May 1971 but two years later a New York Supreme Court ruled that her murder conviction should be overturned as Eddie Jr.'s cause of death was never confirmed and Alice's boyfriend's testimony was found to be grossly prejudicial The prosecuting attorneys also reported to being unsure of Alice's guilt. Quote, I don't know if she did it. It still seems unlikely. I can't believe it. I don't even believe the story I told the jury. I don't even believe it now. End quote. But in 1975, the New York State Court of Appeals reinstated her manslaughter verdict. In the end, Alice spent 30 months behind bars in Harlem's Parkside Correctional Facility. Starting from 1971, when she was initially convicted, to 1977, when she was paroled. It's unclear what swayed the parole board to grant her release. She, during, while she was in prison, she married her longtime boyfriend, Anthony Grace, and they remain married until his death in 1998. Since that time, Alice has always maintained a quiet life. Some claim to have seen her in Florida living under a different name. Others reported seeing her in New York, but none of these sightings were confirmed. Looks like if you're an older lady, the whole Florida to New York thing is pretty plausible. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, her... Her trials and tribulations have inspired countless novels, documentaries, and movies. Her story became the basis for Mary Higgins Clark's 1975 best-selling mystery novel, Where Are the Children? In the real-life story, Alice Crimmins guilt could never be conclusively proven with hard evidence. Even today, the truth behind her children's murders remains unknown. That's a story of Alice Crimmins. That's a wild ride. I know like that's like I think the thing that where I'm just like I could see how she would be the one to do it because that whole like I'd rather right. them be dead than give my husband full custody but it also sounds like maybe during that time period she was she shouldn't have had custody just because of how she wanted to live her life but the fact that there is like no they didn't take like any DNA they didn't take or I don't even think DNA would be helpful today because it's so long ago. But they didn't try to do, like, fingerprinting. They didn't try to talk to, the like, the estranged husband. They didn't try to talk to any of the boyfriends. Mm -hmm. Like, they just focused on her is not the way to do it. And I think that's the reason why we'll never know what really happened because they just focused on her. And it was a witch Yeah, that's what's frustrating. And, like, you hear that with a lot of crimes where it's, like, police are so zeroed in on one person that there could be so much, like, else going on that they're missing. And, yeah, it seems like it started off bad with the 
detective not even getting fingerprints or noticing the screen missing in the window so he was probably drunk or something like (laughs) those seem like basic things you would do if you're an investigator i don't know and also in today's world we would never have an all-male jury like yeah i was thinking that as well like when they when that was uh mentioned in the source oh yeah the jury was all male (laughs) yep like that's no, that's impar- That's an impartial jury, like, right off. Because it's so easy. Based on all these details, I'm sure the prosecutor could have spun it so much, like, oh, she was out all the time drinking with boyfriends, blah, blah, blah. She was never, like, they could have tried, like, just because she, it seemed like she was a character or enjoyed going out on the town or whatever, so it's so easy to twist that. It's like, there's just so much about her specifically that I don't think they liked so they were just like she did it let's just prove that she did it let's not even let's not even try to figure out who actually did it i feel like when it's meant like literally if it's an all like male jury like if they look at her they're probably either like she's either they're comparing her with their moms or their wives Mm -hmm. and if they don't fit that like box then that means she's bad yep or if they don't like their wives and she's similar then she's still bad (laughs) yeah she was probably the wild card back then i'm just like no i'm not gonna conform to 50s 60s housewife society like no i'm not gonna do that which is unfortunate for her because it did get her into a lot of trouble but at the same time like you can't fault somebody for being them. Right. It seems like they realized that that is what happened because in the source I used, it seemed like it was kind of like, no one really knows how, but after 30 months, she was able to get out. Like, it seemed like someone realized that it wasn't a great investigation and they just let her go. It wasn't even an investigation. It was, you did it. Like the suspects were her, her husband, or some burglars, and that was it. Yeah, and I'm not saying she didn't do it because there's a very high probability that she may have right. done it or she may have had assistance. So she still could have done it, but the fact that they didn't even try. No, yeah, there's a possibility that she just isn't an emotional person, and or maybe you know what she's emotional when she's in private right. because she can't. Not everybody is going to, like, drop down on their knees on, like, public TV and just, like, cry their eyes out. You know. I wouldn't. I'm more like that where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be emotional in private where I'm not being watched. I, or, like, no I one's I did like, me. though, that she at least, like, I guess she didn't get emotional in, with crying, but during the trial, it seemed like she was yelling at some guys, so I thought that was kind of funny. And then she told off the police that one time. Well, she's because she knew her phone was being bugged. So she's like, I just like how she was like, drop dead. And I'm like, yeah, that's very 60s. Boys. Hi, boys. Drop dead. Drop dead. <laughs> okay. That's the worst thing you can say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Probably, probably back then, if you're a female, it was. It's like saying that, like the F word, but 60s version. Yeah, basically. The. Oh, you. <laughs> well, good story. Thanks.
All right, so mine, I did send you a hint. You did? I sent it to you back. Yeah, I sent it to you back on Saturday. It was just a picture, but you didn't respond, so that's why I was like, I don't know. Oh, if I was in New Hampshire, like, don't get texts. Uh, Yeah. I don't remember. So... I sent it back on Saturday at 12.15. Oh, yeah, I totally missed that. Oh, yeah, because there's a BuzzFeed thing under it. Yep. I, okay, now I, okay. (laughs) So you actually, I guess, accidentally inspired this when you texted me and you were like, you should do like something about dolls because like I, as everybody knows, like I don't like dolls. I have a fear of them. They freak me out. But because I've already done, like, the doll island in, I think, Mexico way back, like, when we first started, I decided to go with a different fear. So not only am I afraid of dolls, but I hate clowns. Like, really hate them. Like... Well, the photo you sent me, it looks like the it clown. Yeah, so there's a reason for that. Well, I don't know if that's worse or the hot pink paint on the walls that it's next to, because that's a terrible (laughs) color. So yeah, so the topic that I picked for this week, and I don't know if you've heard of it, maybe you have, but it's the Clown Motel, which is on Main Street in Tonopah, Nevada. Um, And the picture that I sent you is one of the rooms Hmm. in the motel. So every room is decorated differently with like a different clown design. Oh my god, why? (laughs) Because it's the Clown Motel. I'll get into that a little bit later. Um... So basically, and I picked this because I remember seeing it years ago, and I'll talk about it a little bit more on um, Most Terrifying Places in America. Mm. It's like season three, I think, but I'll get to that a little bit later. And I was like, oh, this would actually be like a really good idea. Like, it's interesting. It's also, for me, confronting one of my fears because I hate clowns. Mm. Um so basically the history of the town of Tonopa. Um, so it's a very, very small town in Nevada. I think it's about 45 minutes from like Las Vegas, maybe an hour. So back in the early days, um, there was a man by the name of Jim Butler who accidentally stumbled upon a silver rich um, or in Tonopa after, I guess he threw a stone at like a donkey in frustration and noticed that it was like really heavy. So <laughs> he leased out. Yeah. So I guess he like threw a stone at a donkey and was like, oh, the stone is really heavy. And he realized that it was like made of like silver rich ore or whatever, which was a lot of money back in the day. And that's kind of what turned it into a mining town, um, which is important. Um, so he originally leased out his claims and he collected royalties. And then that started multiple mining companies that were set up. One of them was the Belmont Mining Company, which was founded in 1902. And because of the mining company and the mining community, it became, you know, this really big community at the time. So that was in 1900. Then in 1901, uh, there was a famous cemetery that's known to be next to the Clown Motel um, that was founded in 1901, but it was closed in 1911. This was due to events like the Tonopah Plague. And then there was also a 1911 Belmont mine fire. Um, And I guess there was also like a sheriff that was shot and there was other events that just took place where more and more people were added to the grave, uh, to the graveyard. But among the graveyards is Bina Veralt of New York, who actually made national headlines after her and a friend made a pact to become wealthy widows and collect clothes and jewelry 
which would be over about $2.5 million today from men that they'd seduced. Uh, Bino went on to run and ended up in Tinopa, on the run and ended up in Tinopa, where she died of alcoholism. So a little bit of fun um, trivia there. Um, then in 1905, a terrible disease swept through the town um, of Tinopa. It started as chest pains, which would lead to death. And within hours, um, it basically like would turn your, I guess, turn the livers of the victims like completely black and hard like stone. Apparently, it's known as today as pneumonia, um, which is caused by poor sanitation. Then the giant fire that happened in 1911, which happened on February 23rd, where the fire was identified deep in the Belmont mine. Um, new newspapers that day reported that it started at the 1,166 foot level. And there was a man by the name of William F. or Big Bill Murphy, who was among the men that volunteered to go down and load up the miners. He returned to the service, which a cage of rescued men. Um, he went down again into the smoke-filled pit to rescue his colleagues. He was very determined to go down a third time, but it took a little bit longer for the cage to return to the surface. And they found a bunch of the men, but they did not find Bill. So it was believed to believe that he did unfortunately pass away um, trying to rescue people from the mine. The cemetery did close in 1911. Um and then other events happened, such as, I guess there was another fire in 1942, um, or there was actually a number of fires that happened in uh, the Tonopa era, including one in 1942. So getting to the clown motel. Um, basically, in 1985, a couple by the name of Leona and Leroy. So Clarence David's children, Leona and Leroy, opened up a motel next to the cemetery where their beloved father was buried, and they displayed all 150 of their father's, like, clown collection, um, which apparently was an instant hit. So Leona and Leroy were not a couple. My mistake, they were a brother and sister. I don't know why I thought they were a couple, but anyway. So then in 1995, um, Bob and Deborah Pichetti. Uh, bought the clown motel. Um, he was described as a mild-mannered and benevolent gentleman, and his dedication and passion to the um, hometown show, like, basically showed through, um, shown through to all the guests who passed through the motel and took the time to mention what a great host he was and left really good reviews. Um, he, de he dedicated over two decades of looking after guests at the clown motel, and he was pretty much like a convention center director in Tonopa. And he also created a day by the name of Jim Butler Day with celebrations um, for the Royal Commissioner for the Nevada Division of Tourism. And so that brings us to basically 2015, uh, where Ghost Adventures, one of my least favorite shows, Zach Bagans brought his crew to the Clown Motel to film an episode of Ghost Adventures they basically were trying to figure out if it was haunted and they did have like a few things that happened to them. Things included, um, I guess like the, there is a voice being heard on the spirit box. And most famously there is a hand of a large clown caught on camera moving off of its leg, like entirely of its own accord. Um, after the episode aired, Bob Perchetti said things really started to take off with people from all over the world donating their clowns and booking their stay to see the spooky motel for themselves. So 
This also inspired a lot of different movies and a lot of different media, which I'll also go into detail a little bit later. Um, then in 2017, after more than 20 years of lovingly looking after the clown motel, Bob Perchetti decided that it was time to retire and enjoy free time with his wife. He also has five daughters, three sons, and 14 grandchildren. So it went up for sale, and the asking price was 900000 and the strict condition was that the new owners must keep the motel running and look after the clown collection. So that just kind of gives you an idea of, like how important the clown collection is and the fact that it is a clown motel. Then in 2019, it was purchased by the Mayhar family from Las Vegas, who are very experienced hoteliers. Um, so they have a lot of experience around the globe. They are also dedicated and passionate about preserving the iconic clown motel and growing the world-famous clown collection, which apparently people are still sending people um, clown stuff, like figurines and everything mm. um they have like i think i want to say like 10 to fifteen thousand like clown things for like memorabilia they can't even keep it all out like they have a lot of it in storage um since taking over the property they've invested a lot of time and effort into improving the facilities and renovating the rooms they have many plans for a bright future and they will um they want to honor the legacy so the famous clown motel has actually been featured in seven movies, two big TV shows, and more than 100 documentaries and YouTube videos. Most notably was the um, Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagan was kind of the most famous episode of Ghost Hunter or famous episodes on TV. They've also been featured in movies such as the Clown Motel short movie, the Clown Motel Spirit Aries. The Clown Motel 2, which apparently is coming soon. Curse of the Clown Motel, which apparently is coming soon. Halloween, Return of the Killer Binge Murder Motel. Wait, say that again. Halloween, Return of the Killer Binge Murder Motel. Mm. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So these are kind of weird. And a lot of this I got off their website too. So that was one of my sources. So... Like I said, it was also featured from an episode of The Most Terrifying Places in America. So if you're interested in watching it, you can actually find it if you have Discovery Plus or I think it's on YouTube. But it's season three, episode three, and the episode title is episode uh, Devil's Playground. And this was actually back in 2018. So this is the only place where I could find like paranormal activity. Um, I did try to watch the episode of Ghost Adventures and I just I couldn't do it. So I just basically looked online and they did have some weird things but not as weird as what was mentioned on most terrifying places in america so because the hotel was right next to a cemetery that again built in 1901 closed in 1911 it is definitely believed that the ghosts from the cemetery do come over to the hotel specifically there is one clown ghost um they refer to him as the trickster and people have seen him walking from the cemetery next door to the hotel They've seen, apparently he's described as a person dressed as a clown carrying a balloon. One guest, or I think he was a guest, one person, saw basically him coming up through the gate. And this wasn't at nighttime. This was like during the day. So he saw him coming up to the gate to the hotel and he started to talk to him. But the ghost kept talking about how 17 miners died that day, which they believe he's referring to the mining accident that happened back um, around, I want to say, 1910, 1911. And so he kept just talking about, like, the miners and how people died that day. 
And the guy kept trying to interact with him, but he wouldn't say anything else. Eventually, the clown let go of the balloon and completely just vanished into thin air. He's also been known to throw... um, If you go into the hotel, there's an area where there's a bunch of shelving that's just covered in clown stuff. Um, So he's been known to throw clowns off of the shelf. And he always lets the staff know that he's there, um, usually as a shadow figure. People have heard disembodied voices, especially the staff. They've described it as having like a gruff kind of like mean voice. They've also had guests there that don't believe in ghosts that end up believing in ghosts by the time they leave. Um, For instance, there was one guy and his wife who had three dogs. They were staying in the hotel for about six months because the wife's work essentially like paid for them to stay there. One of the dogs that the owner had is completely deaf and would wake up at about 1 a.m., and like the ears would kind of perk up and they would go over to the window and they would start barking. They did that. That dog did that every night for the entire six months until they eventually moved out of the hotel. Um, the staff also says that they don't actually tell people that it's haunted, but that there are certain rooms that may be more haunted than others. The guests have also reported hearing things and seeing things in front of their bed and disappearing. And some people don't even stay like the full night, like they check out. So I thought it was interesting. But, and also super creepy. Yeah, that's a lot of clowns. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of clowns. They've also had guests say that, like, the trickster will, like, wake them up in the middle of the night by being, like, in their room and, like, leering at them from, like, over, like, the bed. And then they'll, like, look for a few more minutes and then he'll just disappear. Or they'll see, like, the shadow figures on the walls. So it's just a lot of creepiness, but it's also, like, I understand why the original people built this hotel, because they wanted to dedicate it to their dad, who loved clowns. But why next to the cemetery? Like, Mm. that's just asking for trouble, in my opinion. Where is this again? This is in, it's in Nevada. Yeah, it's in a very small town in Nevada. Tonopah? So it's in Tonopah, Nevada, which is about 45 minutes to, I think, maybe an hour from Vegas. So if anybody's driving to Vegas and wants to spend a night at a clown motel, definitely check it out. And if you do check it out, let us know. Because um, I have no desire to ever go there, but some people might. Yeah, I don't really get the whole, like, I don't know, like, kikshi or whatever, like, themed hotels, but... I don't have a fear of clowns, but that's a lot of clowns. It's, and it's funny because, like, I don't really mind, like, circus clowns. Like, those are fine, but, like, it, yeah, and, like, scary type of clown. And also, like, when I was living in Florida years ago, I think that was around the time when, like, the clown thing was happening in Florida, where people were reporting, like, seeing people, like, dressed as clowns oh, in the yeah. woods, like, trying to scare people. Mm-hmm. And that really freaked me out because I was like, no. Yeah. Mm-mm. yeah it's like a classic horror scary story thing like the creepy clown also john wayne gacy his thing he was a clown at one point that doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me like children's birthday parties yeah that's like i don't know i just i just don't like they're fine in the circus fine but anywhere else i'm like i just don't like clowns so that's why I decided to do this topic to kind of like talk about something that freaks me out <laughs> just for fun. Do you feel better now? A little bit, but yeah, 
I also did all of this research like during the yeah. day on Saturday because I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not doing this at night. <laughs> so even though I don't think any of my neighbors are clowns, I'm like, no. Secret clown. That'd be concerning. <laughs> I would have questions. Yeah. <laughs> I would have a lot of questions. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us for another fun episode of Oi with the Terror already. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Oi with the Terror already podcast and at Oi with the Terror already. We are also available on um, places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Playlist. We drop a new episode every Thursday or we we at least try to uh, with the summer schedule. We try to still do Thursdays. If you have any spooky stories or if you want us to look into anything, you can give it you can send us an email. Our email address is oi with the terror already at gmail.com. Cool. We will see you all next week. Bye.